0: Welcome to Unity of Tucson. In 1989, I was in high school, and I took a class in high school. It was a class that had the most amazing uh, title that was so relevant and so telling of what it was. It was a class called Social Issues. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, social Issues class. And we talked about social issues. We talked about a, a lot of stuff. And one of the things that happened in that class is it was my first real introduction into Transcendentalism and the Transcendentalist Movement. We talked about the Transcendentalist Movement in that class quite a bit. And I'm thinking to myself now, I'm like, that was high school, I had no idea what it was that we, what, the, like I, I left that class, I'm like, I know nothing more about the Transcendentalist Movement than I did when I started here because it didn't make sense to me. And I don't think my brain was quite ready to take me in all that information. You ready for some information on Transcendentalism? Yeah. Because new thought has core, has its core in the transcendentalist movement. The transcendentalist movement was a philosophical movement in the northeastern United States in the late 19 or 1820s into the 1830s. Um, a court, and you'll recognize some of the authors of the Transcendentalist movement, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, Henry David Thoreau, that um, there was a Bronson, and uh, Louisa May Alcott was actually a Transcendentalist, and so, like, there are people that you know, and, and in fact, Ralph Waldo Emerson is the most quoted English language writer in history, one of the Transcendentalists, and we use, we use the work of Emerson quite a bit in the work we do here and in the study that we do here. A core core tenet in transcendentalism is this. The purity of the individual. The purity of the individual. And one of the things that transcendentalism, transcendentalism taught was that society and institutions have corrupted true individuality. Society and institutions have corrupted true individuality. What we're teaching here is individual, individualization, individuality, the expression of your inherent nature, individualized as you. You are unique. Every week we say it. You are magnificent. And you are not magnificent because of anything you do or the structures you uphold or the ways that you show up. You, well, actually, that is why you're magnificent, just because you show up, Period. End of sentence. You don't need anything more to be magnificent. Just show up as your authentic self. Another aspect of transcendentalism that was taught and and supported is the idea that divine experience is inherent in the everyday experience. Sound like a philosophy that uh, we know? The divine experience is inherent in the everyday experience. So, what that is basically saying is this Heaven is not a place we're trying to get to. Heaven is a state of mind, and we get to decide to live it right here and right now. What choice are you making? Heaven is a state of mind. You know what else is a state of mind? H E double hockey sticks. What choice are you making today? What choice are you making today? When I was in this class in high school, there was one quote of Emerson's that stuck out to me, and this is how the quote was presented to me. The quote was this, "'Consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds.'" (laughs) Consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Well, that gave me, as a teenager, it gave me a lot of um, leeway to be inconsistent. Because I, be, I didn't want it to appear as though I had a little mind, so I found all the ways that I could be contrary and inconsistent, just like every teenager. Sorry, guys. To the teenagers in the back of the room. <laughs> well, that was my experience as a teenager, certainly not for the uh, newer generations. Yeah, my father's in the back of the room. He, was I inconsistent and contrary? He's nodding yes. <laughs> that was a misquote, though. I found out later. Because the quote, the actual quote, is this a foolish consistency. That's an adjective that's very important. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. The construct of a foolish consistency that I've taken into my own heart and how I teach this now is to say that a foolish consistency is related to the unattended habitual thinking that we carry with us. We carry carry this with us all the time. The great news is that the new thought philosophy is an invitation for us to bring to the level of awareness those habitual ideas that are showing up as the construct of our lives about which we may not be aware. So foolish consistency is the unattended habitual thinking, those things that we're not attending to, although the construct of them is showing up all over in our experience in our lives. When I was in ministerial studies, we had to do these things, and if you're, if you're going to go into ministerial studies with me someday, uh, you will have to do this, so the, just giving you all fair warning, those who may be on that path. Uh, we had to do these things called stand and delivers. And this terrified me so much that when I became a minister, I actually incorporated the stand and deliver construct into my services for a while. The stand and deliver was basically this. Here is a random quote, You need to now speak for five minutes on that quote, (laughs) right? (laughs) When I first started doing this, that was tough. I was presented with this quote, at the root of all habit is one thing, the desire to express life. At the root of all habit is one thing, the desire to express life. Life And I stood there for five minutes not saying a word because I was stumped with that in ministerial studies. I know exactly how to talk about it now. (laughs) We are creatures, we are expressions that revel in habit. In fact, habit is not a bad thing. A foolish habit is a bad thing, or what you might call a bad thing. At the root of all habit... Whether you call it good or whether you call it bad is one thing. It is the desire to express life. It is the motivating factor within each and every one of us that says, yes, there is something more to know. There is something more to be. There is something more to express. More and more and more. And even those habits which can be destructive, at the root of that is an idea that it is there to express life. Now, how do, I, how do I work that out in my mind? It's a misunderstanding. It is a foolish consistency of mind to think that anything outside the self has any bearing or factor on our well-being. There's only one thing that has any bearing or factor on our well-being, and that is us. The inherent truth of our being. Our understanding of ourselves. Our Individualization, our uniqueness, our magnificence. So, new thought has its roots fundamentally in transcendentalism, in the constructs. Um, I want to note something about part of that tenet. I'm going to go back and read that again. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. And this is the part that I want to take note of. Adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. The idea of that adoration of a foolish consistency by what Emerson offers as the least among us, the little people, the little statesmen and philosophers and divines are those people who don't have a willingness to do what you're doing in this room, which is go on the journey of uncovering and the journey of becoming. So you've already, you're already a step ahead. You're already a step ahead. Now, the philosophical roots also incorporate this idea. Society and institutions have corrupted true individuality. Remember when I said that before? Society and institutions have corrupted true individuality, and so I am faced with a paradox in my life, because we have created an institution. We have created an institution. The challenge is that we've created this institution seemingly dedicated to promoting true individuality with the construct that society and institutions have corrupted true individuality. You see how that can be problematic? It's a paradox. How do we maintain the institution of unity of Tucson, or whatever we are, with that idea in mind? That true individuality, you don't need to come here on a Sunday to live this philosophy or practice this philosophy or understand the truth of your being. You don't need to be here. I'm glad that you show up because it helps me have employment. <laughs> it's it is. It's honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, come on. I mean, I love what I do, and I love being able to teach, and I love being able to present these ideas to people because, you know, when people walk through these doors for the first time, one of the things I always like to say is, you're here on purpose whether you think you are or not because something drew you to be in this experience. And it may be below the level of awareness. It was something that said, yes, this is for me to know. By creating an institution, we run the risk of letting the institution become more important than the truth. And I've seen this happen repeatedly. I see it happen in lots of institutions. So what does it mean to belong? Many of you have decided to belong as official members of Unity of Tucson. You've decided to affirm your belonging. What does it mean to belong? Do we or are we asked to give up a part of ourselves, a part of our inherent magnificence, to fit in? I would like to think that here, we're not asking you to give up any part of yourself in order to fit in. But every institution, every construct that we create as a collective is an invitation to not only know something more deeply for each and every one of us, to know how we relate to the organization, but it is also a call to the organization itself to support the best constructs possible all its participants and it's hard to do that it's really hard to do that in the unity movement there's an aspect of the organization that I have some challenge with and that is they're really gung-ho for us to try and create a brand There's a constant message of, oh, you should adopt the branding guidelines and use our logo and use the constructs in this way and that way and, you know, start to adhere and conform and make yourselves fit in. <laughs> and then I go to them, I say, I don't know if you know who I am in ministry, but that's not going to work for me. You know why brands work? The reason brands work is because, well, I'll speak specifically to the McDonald's brand. Not that anybody here eats McDonald's, except for those of you that do. (laughs) The McDonald's brand works because no matter where you are in the entire world, the golden arches, when you see those golden arches, you know that a Big Mac is gonna taste like a Big Mac. When you've been to One Unity Church, you've been to One Unity Church. That's why branding doesn't work. for us, it doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for a spiritual philosophy that, that, that revels in individualization and the celebration of uniqueness. It can't ever work, I don't think. It can't ever work. The other thing is, you know, I mentioned membership. We invite you to be a membership. And we do have a membership structure in this organization, right? But that membership is your decision. Membership here is not compulsory. And we actually, if you really look through the membership uh, form that you sign, we don't actually require anything of you to be a member other than this is a decision that you've made in your life to be a member here now, at this time in your life, because it works for you at this point. And we see people come and go in our membership all the time. Um, Just as a side note, the next membership orientation will be... (laughs) on September 23rd at 2 (laughs) p.m. Because why not? (sighs) Nice segue, Don says. Laura said that she just had someone ask this morning when it was going to be. Well, there you are. Now you know. September 23rd at 2 p.m. We'll probably actually start making the official announcement next week. (laughs) My desire as a spiritual leader is to inspire you to come to know yourself more profoundly than ever before. Which is why at the beginning of every single service, And, you know, I know y'all probably get tired of hearing me say it, but every single service I say, you may not believe everything you hear today, but it's important to have that reminder, to let ourselves off the hook of saying, oh, well, I hear what he's saying. Well, I don't believe that. And then leave and never come back. The invitation for us is to go on the journey of uncovering what it is we do believe and in the uncovering of what it is we do believe, I think we find the truth of our being, our uniqueness, our individualization, the way we show up as God. I think the most individualized experience we can have is to question. This is a philosophy about questioning everything. We have tenets, we have doctrine, but I invite every single person to consistently question the doctrine, which is why we can then make the claim we don't have dogma, because dogma is doctrine that cannot be questioned. I ask you to question all of it. And I, and I stand up here every single week also, oftentimes with a very strong statement that turns some people off. What is that statement? Does anyone know what that statement is? I am God, and so are you. I am God. I'm not saying I am the allness. And I'm not saying it in a way that, that is meant to imply I have dominion over you. I'm saying I know who I am, and I understand that about you, and that we collectively make up the infinite body that is God. Because that's what God is. It is the energy of creation of which we are all part. We cannot be separate from the infinite. And so when we say, remember who you are, that's what we're talking about. I am God and so are you. The issue with this extreme individualization is that we still have to get along with each other in community. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And community itself is a form of institution, right? We gather in community because of things that we agree on, typically. That's usually what draws communities together. It's what draws this community together. I think we probably have some similar ideas that draw us together and say, yes, we can agree on that. And we will find the things about which we do not agree. That's true. But we live in community. Community is a form of institution, So I will hold to this idea. The transcendentalists were sort of right. They were sort of right, but we still need to find our inner way while we are immersed in outside structures. We can be in community, but still find our inner way. There's a construct that I learned about in a particular way again, when I was studying ministry, this construct called emergent evolution. And the idea of emergent evolution is very simple. It simply offers that change comes from necessity. Change comes from necessity. And that change is brought about by our involving ourselves to allow that evolution to flow forth. And so there is a cause and effect idea here. Involving ourselves, involution is the cause Evolution is the effect. Everything that shows up in the world of form, what we teach here is everything that shows up in the world of form is the construct of an inner idea. Charles Fillmore wrote this, that which is involved in mind evolves through matter. That which is involved in mind evolves through matter. And so I'm putting a call out to every single one of us to question even more to question, how do we show up? Let us constantly consider how we show up. And there's a challenge in this. A colleague of mine wrote this. This is a lengthy quote, but I want to share it with you all, because I think it's important that we begin to turn and look within, to see ourselves in the mirror. He wrote this. If we are only a philosophy applied to the individual and have nothing to say to the society in which we live, then we have to come to terms with what that really means. We are a teaching of privilege, made for those who have the luxury to contemplate its prose and the comfort to pay for its classes and the free and unencumbered mental state of mind to consider its philosophical depth, applying to oneself only that which is appealing and comfortable. I think it's time we turn the mirror to ourselves and say, I know who I am, now how do I serve? How do I serve? How do I use what is a position of privilege to lift others up, to be the love about which we speak? How do I do that more profoundly now than ever before? First, let us question the structures we are upholding that no longer work. Ask, are we willing to actively participate in our own evolution? How might we show up as a fully realized individualization in the context of community? How do we make this institution a place of exploration, a place of discovery? and not fall into the trap of making the form supreme. Do we promote spiritual truth? I would like to think we do. We promote spiritual truth. What is truth? Well, for me, truth is that which is unchangeable, absolutely unchangeable, it is absolute, spiritual truth. So we promote spiritual truth. But are we doing that at the expense of our individualization and deferring to the frame of institutions? These are the questions I ask myself. I came across this other quotation that speaks to this. This is a quotation, although I've Usually when I have a quotation, that especially, if I have a quotation I see on the internet, I always try to source it. <laughs> I've not been able to source this, but I've seen enough references to this quotation from various different sources that I think it actually is attributable to this person. So this is a quote of Ernest Holmes. What we must avoid is the confusion which arises from a belief in final revelations from the belief that all truth is at last discovered or that some one person or some one system of thought has delivered the last word. There are no finalities in any science, any philosophy, or any religion. Through the continual emergence of the creative principle, any last finality proves to be but the beginning of a new creative series. That's an important sentence. Any last finality proves to be but the beginning of a new creative series. This eternal spiral, finding its base in the everlasting capital R, reality will never cease to emerge. That's what we're doing here. We're inviting the active participation in our own evolution. Change comes from necessity. I think many of us found our way to this place because we felt there was something necessary in us to change. And by changing our mind, by changing our belief, we are changing the construct of our lives. So let us involve ourselves, our individualized use of this infinite power and presence we call God, to evolve the forms that we have structured Peace and blessings, you are magnificent. This week's homework, and I give homework every week as a way to invite participation and practicality in this spiritual tradition. The homework I'm inviting us all to engage in this week is this. I would like us all to review the various forms we've adopted as part of our experience and ask this question, do those forms support our individuality or not? Celebrate the individualization of everyone in each of these structures. That's an important aspect of this. As you ask the question, celebrate those who are part of those structures as well.